Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Julianne Cecilia Gillet was a 36-year-old from Bellevue, Washington. She was the mother of one and loved Fleetwood Mac. In late May of 1985, Julianne's parents lost contact with her. Three weeks later, Julianne's husband told everyone she had left him. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. seems so much smaller now than it did when I was a kid. However, the Earth is still the same size as it has just about always been. It still weighs the same, and it still has seven continents. Maybe the reason the Earth seems so much smaller now is due to the population. There are now over twice as many humans on this planet as there were in 1970 when I was born. Think about that. It took millions of years to get to 3.7 billion people, but only 50 more years to get to 7.7 billion. Crazy. But the biggest change, of course, is technology. The ability to communicate with some of my listeners, for example, in Ireland, New Zealand, Hong Kong, without snail mail, or outrageous long-distance calling charges gives me the perception that those people are a lot closer than they actually are to Clearwater Beach, Florida. And I love it. Well, in the disappearance of Julianne Gillet, she went missing at a time when the world was just starting to figuratively shrink. Yet, the biggest clue in her case was found miles away. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Lyoness's website, charlieproject.org. Julianne Gillet came from a small family. She was the only child her parents had. Julianne got married in the early 1970s, and she in turn only had one child, a daughter. Yet this marriage ended in divorce. Julianne dated throughout the rest of the 1970s 
and 1980s, but no relationship really stuck. That was until early 1985, when Julianne got married to Ian Gillet, a man she'd dated several years before. To this day, it's still unclear how the two reconnected. Nobody even knew Julianne and Ian were even in contact with each other until they got married. Not even Julianne's own daughter. However, the relationship was strained, with Ian being possessive and Julianne's daughter not liking him at all. So, in late May 1985, Julianne and Ian lived together in Bellevue, Washington, while Julianne's daughter lived with Julianne's parents about 20 minutes away. The last conversation Julianne had was within this late May time frame with her great aunt. Everything seemed fine. Then nobody heard from Julianne. Calls to her and Ian's house went unanswered for about two weeks before Ian picked up on June 11th. Ian said he and Julianne had a fight, and she left, and that this happened on June 1st. She was never seen again. Ian said he didn't file a missing persons report because he didn't know Julianne was actually missing. Interestingly, on June 14th, three days later, her purse appeared in the MGM Grand Hotel in Reno, Nevada, almost 12 hours away. An employee found it and shipped it to Julianne's parents. The contents revealed no new information, and nobody at the hotel recalled seeing Julianne there. Some of the toughest disappearances we cover on Unfound are ones in which a person isn't discovered to be missing for several days, if not weeks or months. This is even tougher when the case is over 30 years old, like Julianne's is. However, we will still give this our best shot, and it starts by trying to answer these three questions. Number one, why exactly did Julianne keep her new relationship with Ian a secret before getting married? Number two, Ian has been married many times, and none of his other wives have disappeared. So why would it be that he could have anything to do with Julianne's case? And number three, if someone, not Julianne, put her purse in the hotel in Reno, why would someone drive 12 hours from Bellevue, Washington, to do so when dumping it a lot closer would serve the same goal? Those who knew Julianne certainly believe foul play caused her disappearance. The guest for this episode is Julianne's daughter, Tamara McAdams. Unfound News As I stated last week, there will be no meeting of the minds between myself and Dr. Telesco this month. She has stuff going on, and I always have stuff going on. So the next time we will get together for a show is late July, and it can't get here fast enough. Next, I must apologize. About five days ago, I conducted a poll in the discussion group where members got to pick one of two possible covers for the next book. One of them won convincingly. Well, uh, I decided to pick neither of them. The problem? 
I couldn't find enough interesting pictures to continue the theme that the members picked. So the covers of the unfound books that will be coming out for the rest of the year will continue with the files and filing cabinets theme until a new one can be found. Finally, I'm pretty sure I will be having a speaking engagement at a university in Louisiana this fall. COVID-19 could delay my goals in 2020, but it will not stop them in 2021. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound supports accounts on Podomatic, iTunes, Spotify, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Deezer, and YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, on Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, please join us for the Unfound live show. All of you can talk with me and I can answer your questions. Contribute to Unfound at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. This week, I need to thank Edna, Mary, and Kimberly. You can also contribute at PayPal, paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. I also need to give a huge shout out to all the people who have monetarily contributed using Super Chat during the live show on Wednesday nights. Thank you for watching and thank you for donating. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. Merchandise, the books at amazon.com in both ebook and print form. Do not forget the reviews. Shirts at unfound-podcast.myshopify.com or you can track down my assistant, Heather, in the Facebook group. Playing cards at makeplayingcards.com forward slash shell forward slash unfoundpodcast. The website, theunfoundpodcast.com. And please mention unfound at all true crime websites and forums. Thank you. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the daughter of Julianne Gillet... Tamara McAdams. Tamara, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. Let's start here. Um, of course, you were um, a young girl at the time of your mother's disappearance back in 1985. But uh, it's now, of course, 2021. And how did you uh, get started? At what age, becoming an adult, did you make this uh, part of your life, looking into your mother's uh, disappearance? How long has it been now? Uh, so I would say I was about approximately 19, college student, and a good friend of mine said, you know, I think you really need to look into this. And um, mm -hmm. we just had a conversation and about me just feeling I needed closure and some questions answered. And so that's kind of how it started. Okay. Uh, at that point, uh, when you became 19, was anybody else in your family uh, doing that instead? I'll give you an example that I've covered some disappearances that go back to the 1990s. And, you know, wow. the parents were responsible for keeping it out there for quite a while. And then, 
you know, their their children, who may be like brothers and sisters of the missing girl, you know, then take it over. Was that the situation in your family, or at the point you did it, you know, nobody else was really doing anything? Um, there had been several meetings over the years, and there had been several detectives, and uh, so, yeah, there had been meetings and, like, correspondence with the police, but I believe around that time, not so much. Okay, and I, I should probably ask you, how old were you in June of 1985? So I was 11 years 11. old. You were 11, okay. Yeah. And so it was like about then, about eight years later that, you know, mm-hmm. you just decided to take this on. And so you've been working at this for a while. For a while, yes. yes. Okay, okay, very good. All right, so I just wanted to make sure everybody knew about that. And in fact, listeners should know right up until the point that we're doing this interview, you were sending me new information through text. We'd already talked a couple times, but you were continue, you continue to dig new information up, right? Right. I feel like the more digging I've done, the more and more I've found over the years. <laughs> sure. Okay. Let's move on to this. Uh, let's talk about, of course, your mother, Julie Ann. Uh, how many children uh, does she have? So I was her only child, her daughter, and then my grandma um, only had my mom. So oh. kind of small on our side. Small family. Okay, I got. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Okay, so she had one daughter. You, um, mm-hmm. you've already stated you're 11 years old. Um, what do you remember about your mother uh, as a mother? Uh, was she strict? Was she kind of laid back? Of course, you're 11 years old. Um, what were you into at the time? Um, what kind of t- things did you and she do together, et cetera? Uh, yeah, so I would say maybe a little strict, but I would say there was also a fun side. Um, she smiled a lot. She laughed. Um, my friends that were around her and family, you know, all loved her. Um, everyone had good things to say about her. And, um, yeah, like... She would get me things that I loved. I remember a special doll I had that she had got me um, that was one of my favorite things. Um, Yeah, Mm -hmm. so she was a good mom. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. Okay. Did she have any sort of, uh, or do you, or did you have any sort of contact with uh, your your father, your biological father, uh, you know, the man who she had you with? Any connections back there in the early 80s? Uh, no. So my dad and I, um, restarted a relationship when I was, uh, I believe 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. I think I was like a senior in high school. So, um, you know, he has a lot of good memories of my mom mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they married and I think it lasted maybe three years and, and then they divorced and, mm-hmm. um, so my mom was a single mom, you know, yeah. raising her daughter, myself, and, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So uh, would you say then around the time of your mother's disappearance in 1985 that uh, she, neither she nor you were having much contact with your father? Would that be? Uh, right. Correct. Okay. All right. Let's move on to this. Uh, her work, her, what do you remember about uh, her work? What was she into personally? What were, you know, her interest in maybe in music? Do you remember these things? TV shows, you yes. know, things like that. Um, she loved Fleetwood Mac. Uh, she loved Chuck Mangione. Yes. Uh, she worked, yes. Uh, she uh, was Mangione, really big sure. on music. Um, 
remember that. And I remember an old big TV we had back in the 80s. There was those big, I, I mean, they're uh-huh. so different. Yeah, they <laughs> the are. TVs. You're right. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I remember the TV we had. Um, we lived in a house on 18th um, that was a, about a block from my grandma. And that was the last house um, in the area where we lived um, before all this happened. Mm-hmm. Um And previously, one of my favorite places we lived was in Queen Anne. We lived near the top of the hill, and you could see the Space Needle. And um, that was a really nice time. Lots of friends in the neighborhood, and she had support and friends in that area. Yeah, Yeah, let's maybe talk a little bit about uh, her friends. Did she get together with other uh, parents, other mothers, and, you know, I, I guess play dates, things like that? Do you remember that? Um, so I would say my mom kind of liked to go out a little bit, um, but yes, she would get together with friends and that was normally if I was like at my grandparents for a sleepover or, um, that type of, uh, stuff. And yeah, she did have a lot of friends. She was very social, very outgoing and, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You you didn't mention, uh, did she have a job, a career? Did she go to school? What so was the situation? She didn't go to college, but she did work at Frederick and Nelson. Um, so that is when we lived in Queen Anne. Um, Frederick and Nelson was like a high end, almost like a Nordstrom. Um, that was like the store to go to. All my birthday cakes came from there. I used to go visit her with my grandparents at work. Uh-huh. So, yeah, so those are good memories. Um, yeah. She was working nights before everything happened. Um, I think it was sort of a new job at that time. Okay. So. Okay, so she was working in the evenings, nights uh, at the time of her yes. disappearance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, you told me that um, she didn't drive a car. Did, did you mention, did you tell me, I have that I, in my notes, or she wasn't... kind of wonder, because my grandma didn't drive, if, um, and granted this was way back, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the 80s, so my grandma didn't drive and my grandpa drove, so I just wonder if that had anything to do with my mom, uh-huh. I'm not really sure, but uh-huh. I've always drove. So. All right, cause so your knowledge, of course, you were 11 at the time, you can never remember mm-hmm. your mother behind the wheel of a car. No. Mm-hmm. Can't remember her ever having a driver's license, anything like that. No, I just wonder if she was just a single mom and maybe just money was tight, which right. I know it was back then. Sure. So, um, yeah, so maybe that was part of it. Um, and mm-hmm. then my grandparents were just, you know, helped my mom as much as as was needed, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so would you say that she took public transportation, did a lot of walking? What was it? Yes, correct. Okay. And how far, maybe the last place, um, of course, we're going to be talking about this house eventually, but how far did your grandparents live from uh, uh, where you and your mother lived? Uh, Well, so we lived, the closest we lived to my grandma was on 18th. And then leading up to what happened, she took this job in the evenings and she moved out closer to shoreline area which would be uh, well like a 20 minute drive or on the bus i don't know 45 minutes a little mm-hmm. while okay <laughs> so okay and this yeah. is all in the area that we're talking about for this disappearance in bellevue washington 
Right. Okay. So, um, so the the house or the place she was living in Shoreline was right mm-hmm. before um, the Lake Hills home. Okay. The last place that she had by right. herself before okay. they got married. Okay, and we'll talk specifically about that address if you'd like to give that address out when the time comes. That's totally fine. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, did your mother, I just have to ask this, we, we, I do this with every uh, disappearance. Did your mother have any issues, any addictions, anything like that, any mental issues that you've ever heard about, etc.? No, I believe that she just, you know, she liked to drink and... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's possible that she may have needed help with that. Um, mm-hmm. That's not something that happened, but, yeah. you know, I know that there were conversations with my grandparents regarding that. Okay. All right. Let's move on to this. He, of course, is going to play a prominent uh, role in our uh, in our discussions here today. Um, we are doing this interview, by the way, on June 13th, 2021. Let's talk about Ian Jalay. Uh, how did he and your mother originally meet? Uh, my understanding is that they were an item at one time, and then he came back into her life. But that original um, meeting of the two, I guess, maybe in the 1970s. Do you even know how that happened? Um, I don't. I saw something in the case file, and it just uh, that they got together about three or three or four years after the divorce so that would be around 1978 I want to say and they dated and I we lived with them briefly um I remember just a little bit I was Mm. pretty young so I was like four or five yeah yeah and um I just was told by couple people by my grandparents and by my cousin that um yeah, that when they split up, it got kind of bad, and that he kind of left us stranded. So my grandparents mm-hmm. had to go out and get our stuff and, you know, move us, I don't know, well, to our next place. Okay. So. Uh, at that time, once again, the first time around, um, yeah. so was your your mother and he were living together? Yes. Okay, in the late 70s, like you said, about 1978. Mm-hmm. So you don't yeah. know how they met, so this could have been... I don't know through through the job your mother had at the time, maybe out at a bar yeah, somewhere mutual, or something. I think they had some mutual friends, so it mm-hmm. could have been through my godfather or uh, yeah, or someone else. Maybe okay. through David. Okay. So. Uh, are you? You just said about being stranded. Uh, do you now? Maybe you didn't understand it at the time because of your age, but do you doubt now know why they broke up the first time around? Um. I do not know. I just know he was controlling and there was, uh, I think, a lot of arguing and just, yeah. Okay. Is it your understanding that she broke up with him or he broke up with her? What's your uh, understanding? That I do not know. Okay. Totally yeah. fine. Let's move on yeah. to this. Now, you told me, though, you've been very clear with me, though, that even uh-huh. uh, as a, a young girl, uh, late okay. 70s, early 80s, uh, well before your mother ever disappeared, that you did not like Ian. What do you, uh, just in general, we're going to talk about the disappearance yeah. and his connection, but just in general between you and him, um, what do you remember about him personally? Well, I just really really did not like him like to the point where um if I was going to see my mom I did not want to see him I did not want to stay at the house 
So as a young girl, I think that um, either I witnessed some fighting or some really heated arguments where I just didn't feel safe. I just did not feel safe around him and did not want to be anywhere near him. Mm -hmm. Um, Nothing like that. Okay. Did you uh, voice this to your mother? Oh, to my mother, to my grandparents, <laughs> lots of discussions. Anybody who would listen. Yes. Anybody who would listen. Uh, yes. But to be honest, though, your mother, uh, well, we don't know who broke up with who uh, the first time around. We but don't know. But um, do you think it's possible that you not liking him could have been the cause of the breakup the first time around? Um, I, I don't think so. Okay. I just don't I, – I wish I knew the circumstances. I was yeah. so young. I think right. I was four, maybe five when they split up. Okay. I don't think we lived with them very long. So whatever it was, it just wasn't working between them. Okay, totally fine. We'll get back to uh, – we're going to talk about how they uh, reconnected uh, in, in the mid-'80s. So, But just mm-hmm. in general about Ian, do you remember what his job was, uh, early, late 70s, early 80s, his family, yeah. did he have any kids, etc.? I think he was successful. Um, he was working for like the main phone company at that time. Uh, that was Pacific Bell. So um, maybe he may have been working on the east side, and that's why the house was in Lake Hills, Bellevue. Mm-hmm. Okay, and did he have any children? Well, that's very interesting. He has a daughter. No one seems to know really where she is or what the story with the daughter. Mm. But one ex-wife got pregnant, and he made her have an abortion. Mm-hmm. But then I was told by another ex-wife that he had a vasectomy when he was 23. So there's just some strange things that have come up regarding Okay, that. so... So, uh, in, uh, some mysteries and inconsistencies regarding his yes. past before he met your mother. Okay. Correct. But one thing yes. is for sure, he's been married, he was married many times before. Yeah, he... I, I believe this is number six. I reviewed it again, I believe he's on number six. Uh, here in 2021, he is with wife number six. Yes, and okay. they've been together for many years. Okay, mm-hmm. and I think that you and I, you know, and I know we had uh, a long discussion about his ex-wives, mm-hmm. where... We're sure that he was married at least twice before he met your mother. At least twice, yes, maybe correct. three, maybe three. And times. it's so fascinating to me that they they interviewed, I believe, the two wives after my mom, but not the wife previous to my mom, who has mm. quite a bit of information. And okay. the only reason that she's now been interviewed is because I contacted her. Right. So just a lot of things have come up. Right, and we're not, and the listeners should know, we're not going to get into any of these women's names uh, at no, all. No. They, they don't need to no. be brought into any of this. But uh, just trying to establish, he had been married uh, a few a few times before. We'll just use that term before meeting yes. your mother. Uh, sometime after she got divorced, let's just say around seventy seven, seventy eight. And even though he's been married these many times, the, to your knowledge, he only has one child. Yes. Okay, so he has this job. I meet your mother somehow, but uh, I guess, I don't know if you knew this back when you were a little girl, maybe this came up later, but uh, you told me that he might have suffered some sort of brain injury or something. Any proof of this, or is this just some story that Ian used to tell people? Uh, Well, pretty, almost positive that it's true, which would... um 
his behavior and demeanor is just very odd. So to me, when I was being told this, it kind of tied things together mm-hmm. um, for myself. And maybe even as a little girl, just his strange. Um, but yes, I was told that a neighbor kid hit him in the oh. back of the head with a pickaxe. Yeah, who who so. told? Uh, I would never say ask any names, but who told you this? Uh, uh, one ex-wife and the other ex-wife confirmed the okay. same information. All right, were either of these women so, a, a party to that, or is that just the story he oh, told no, them? No, no, this was something that happened in his childhood. Okay. Sounds like he just got into a bad fight with another child, and mm-hmm. somehow he suffered a traumatic brain injury and uh this is what he had told his wife about how it had happened okay so i'm wondering not to be totally doubtful but Mm -hmm. did he ever show anybody i mean you get hit in the back of a head with a pickaxe i think you're gonna have a scar for life did he ever show anybody a scar anything like that i don't know that uh yes i'm not Mm. sure about that okay so we just have his word Mm-hmm. That this is something he just told people, but there's no right. medical records. Nobody saw a scar, anything like that. Maybe he was, as as you would know, Tamara, sometimes people come up with these stories just to, stories oh, yeah. just to excuse their bad behavior. Oh, I was, right. you know, abused as a child or I was hit in the head. I was, you know, somebody beat me right. up as a child. Right, well, so, I mean, and one ex-wife did say he's a very good liar. She said mm-hmm. if anybody could get away with it, he would. Okay. So... Like what you just said, you know, not completely positive. Right. And I, the listeners just have to understand this. These are coming from ex-wives who sometimes maybe are not the most believable people. So we have to, we have to preface it with that. Okay. So what do you remember about the time between them, um, the breakup between the two of them? And then of course they ended up uh, reconnecting, but what do you remember about that time in between with you and your mother? So I think that one of the things I remember is we were living in Ballard. Um, so I'm trying to think what year that was. That may have been 80, uh, 82 maybe. And she was dating someone. I'm not sure if it was Ian at that time, but they had a huge argument. And I don't know if I just blocked it out, but I'm wondering if that's one of the things, uh, yeah, but it was just a very heated argument. Okay. Um, but that was like two, three years before um, 85. Okay. So. All right. So there's this uh, interim time. Do you think that your mother went out, dated any other men, had relationships with any, any oh, other yeah. men in, the, uh-huh. in that she, meantime? Yeah. My mom was very beautiful. She, yeah, uh-huh. she was dating. And, uh-huh. Yes. Okay. So, so yeah. we come up to, uh, I guess, let's just say late uh, 1984 into early 1985 and right. out of it's the way you extra, uh, explained it to me but of course this is why we do interviews you can explain it for yourself but you gave me the impression that out of nowhere she and Ian get married I mean how was the, how much of a shock was this to you your your grandparents etc well I'm kind of wondering maybe her and my grandma weren't getting along at that time but they she did marry him and I wonder if um you know he was financially secure she really cared for him and I think she loved him and so I think she thought okay you know now we can have this little family and Tammy you know can come um 
she had a bedroom set up. So she was thinking that in June that I was going to go move in the new home with them. And I saw her about a month, month, a month and a half before this happened. Okay. So let's just get back to them being married. This was a surprise. Yes. Okay. Did you even know, did your grandparents even know that she and Ian were an item again? I, I don't think so. And okay. I'm wondering if it's because they didn't care for him. I don't mm-hmm. think they liked him. I don't think anybody liked him. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if she just um, didn't want the confrontation of, you know, now she's back with him because they helped her when he left us stranded. And right. They're was a birthday party one year and my grandparents left and Ian was there and it was bad. I don't know exactly what happened, but for them to leave the party was strange. Okay. Uh, did your mother, uh, once again, I understand in 1985, you've been 11 years old, but did she Uh ever explain to you, um, how she and even Ian reconnected again and et cetera. Did she ever explain that to you? No, I think she just wanted me to be a kid, and um, I'm sure that she had some guilt about it, but I think that the last time I saw her, she was kind of trying to smooth it over, and we went shopping in Bellevue, and and I said I would see her, but I did not want to see him, and so that became a little bit of an issue during the visit. But Okay, and in fact, you told me, I have it in my notes, uh, that would you say that your mother tried to keep you away from Ian? Um, I think that she was hoping I would change my mind about, Mm -hmm. you know, being around him and uh, that type of, like, I remember that they came and picked me up at my grandparents and then Ian drove us to Bellevue Square. We went shopping, Ian went and did whatever. And then we went back to their house, um, the Lake Hills home, and had pizza. My mom wanted me to stay the night, but I made them take me home because I hated him and I wanted to go home and be, you know, just Mm. didn't want to be around him. All right. When you say home, being taken back to your grandparents' house? Well, yeah. My, you know, home at that time was, it was just very stable and yes. Okay. So am I then under the understanding then that when Ian and your mother got married, that did she, did they get a house together? Did she move into his house? How did that Um, work? He, well, he sold a previous home and so he was, they were renting the house in uh, Lake Hills, Bellevue. Okay. So they were newly married, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, five months and uh, when everything happens. Right. All right. So you, I guess, technically never moved in with them then? No. She had all my stuff from, like, the previous house uh, where mm-hmm. we lived by my grandparents on 18th. Yeah. So she had a bedroom. I remember seeing it on the visit. Mm-hmm. I think she was showing me just kind of like, hey, you know, we have it set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ian... And one conversation I had with them said that they argued about me a lot. Mm. I don't know what that exactly means. So mm, Okay, so the your mother and he are living together, but you're living with your grandparents. Yeah, because my mom, um, leading up to her marrying him, she'd been mm. working nights and they wanted to keep okay. me in my school. So that's okay. what um why I was still or why I was there for the school year. All right. So would you say that in that time from early 85 when they got married until she disappeared Uh that your main home was living with your grandparents? Correct. Yes. Okay. Thank you. All right. 
And um, once again, I realize that you're looking through this at, um, from the eyes of an 11-year-old, but of course you're a grown woman now. Right. Your observation regarding what you saw of their marriage between uh, early 1985 and uh, her disappearing, what did you experience between Julianne and Ian? Um, I think that my mom, she seemed happy and, uh, you know, her and I, I think everything was fine. Um, we had a great day. I mean, I remember the last visit, um, she gave me a poetry book and, and wrote something in it, the date. So, um, we had a, a really fun day. We had lunch, we went shopping, all of that was great. Um, I guess what I'm asking you is, once again, from mm -hmm. your eyes, did you see anything uh, no. that was abusive? Did you, maybe even your grandparents, you know, did they, you ever hear them talk so, about being worried about their daughter being with Ian, et cetera, in those uh, few months? No, but I believe I witnessed that when we lived with him when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So I believe I witnessed, um, okay. you know, a few arguments that maybe turned, I don't know, physical or possibly... Yeah, just some aggressive and controlling behavior. All right, but we have to remember you were not living with them. So, but maybe I should ask how often... No, 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 but I'm referring yeah. to when we were oh, living oh, with yeah, them. Oh, yeah, sure. Years previous. Okay. Yes. How often then during the during that uh, first half, let's say, of 1985, how often did you see and talk to your mother, being that you weren't living with her? Uh, I think it was a lot of phone calls, and it was... Um, you know, visits uh, once in a while. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what were the plan? Being that you were still living with your grandparents, Ian and your mother are living together, was there any plans in the near future that that was going to change? You've already stated you stayed with your grandparents to stay in a particular school, but is it your then understanding that maybe that summer that you finally would have moved in with Ian and your mother, yeah. or was that going to continue for a while, the, the current That's situation? That's what my mom's hopes were, and so I think there was going to be more discussions. I think that her and my grandparents had discussed that. And so my grandparents were aware that, you know, she wanted me to move in with them and she was trying to, you know, show them that, hey, I've got a room set up and I'm ready for Tammy to, you know, come back and live with me. And then everything happened. So. Okay. Do you think that, uh, once again, looking back at it now, do you think that Ian wanted you to move in with them? Oh, no, I don't think so. Okay. All right. Had to ask. All right, let's move on to this. Um, his name probably is going to come up a little bit later, but who is, we're not going to use his last name, but who is David? So, he was my godfather. And so the whole thing is very strange because he happens to be Ian's, one of his closest friends. So... There's a lot of things that come up uh, with that. How did, how, it, I, I guess I should say usually a godfather and godmother are usually friends of the father and mother, not the guy that comes along years later. How did that happen? Um, interesting. So my mom and David were good friends. He was our he was married uh, at the time. So him and his wife um, were my mom's good friends. And I remember going over and hanging out at their house. And um, and then, yeah, and then everything happened. And um, normally when something would happen like this, the godfather would, you know, would call, would show up, would uh, 
come take me, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, be involved because that's what a godparent does. Right. But if all this happened, then he just disappeared. I guess the, the, the I'm just asking you, it's a little uh, interesting to me that uh, David's friends with Ian, but David's also your godfather. And so when you were born, David was designated as your godfather. Uh, well, I don't know if it was when I was born or mm-hmm. maybe... Uh, two, three years later, I, I don't know exactly. Okay. Um, there was a conversation because my dad also knew David and Ian, and my dad couldn't figure out why the child support was going to my grandparents, not knowing what had happened. Mm. So he called David, said, "Hey, let's go have lunch," and he said, "What's going <coughs> on? Where's Julianne?" David said, "She's gone and she's never coming back." All right, we'll get into that. Uh, that's probably a little uh, a foreshadowing here. It's I just want to make sure the listeners though understand is that David's your godfather, but he's very good friends with Ian. But was he friends with your mother first? Yes, he was. Well, I don't know who he was friends with first. Um, I know that we went on a talk show in 1998 and I showed up at his house to talk to him Mm -hmm. and my grandma was concerned about us going on TV because Mm -hmm. um, Ian would be watching and Ian refused to go on the show, but um, he was watching from Vancouver where he was living Mm -hmm. and I went to David's home to talk to him and he said some really horrible things about my mother and I got goosebumps on my arms. I'm like, I gotta leave. I I just gotta get out of here. All right. So, so, so the god, your godfather, who was friends with your mother, uh, was not mm-hmm. saying these. In, once again, we're going way up to 1998. Was trashing your mother. Yes, correct. Okay. And through the whole case file, yes. Okay. Um, what do you remember about the last time you saw or last spoke to your mother? Well, that was uh, the visit. Um, Well, the last time I remember seeing her was when we went shopping. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe that may have been the last time I saw her or communicated with her. And we had a, you know, we had a great day. We went shopping. We um, had lunch. And I don't know if there was a phone call after that. But that Mm -hmm. was spring break, which was, you know, like, maybe a month, month and a half before everything mm-hmm. happened. You went, so, just so I understand this, you went like, even though you didn't really live that far away with your mother, it was like a month and a half of not seeing her after that? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, what do you know about the last known conversation that Julianne had, your mother had, with anybody? I understand it was uh, an aunt what what date was this? What was the content of the conversation, et cetera? Yeah, so they had a phone conversation, and my mom was in good spirits and um, was talking about the new home that they were renting and was buying furniture and was happy. And, yeah, she just seemed to be doing well that time. Okay. And that was approximately about a week before or days before mm. everything happened. Okay. Uh, this aunt, is that your mother's sister? Who is that? That would be my grandma's sister-in-law, who's deceased oh, now. Okay. All right. And you already stated yeah, my that favorite your... aunts. Okay. And you already stated your, your uh, mother did not have any uh, brothers or sisters. Okay. Right. So kind of more like a great aunt 
and and more yes, like a great aunt. Correct. Uh, you're, uh-huh. you're your great aunt, not your not your uh, mother's great aunt, but your great aunt. Right. Okay. Uh-huh. All right. Now, uh, I've already stated, um, you know, by the time uh, the listeners are hearing our voices, they already have heard the intro to this uh, episode. And they know that the date of your mother's uh, disappearance is um, very vague. We have a long period of here uh, in, in this particular disappearance where it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like there was any, she had any contact with anybody, or at least it took a while for anybody. Uh, to figure out that she was actually missing. Uh, and in fact, I have it in my notes, eight, approximately 18 days of no contact. Um, w- once again, it's not your fault. You're 11 years old. But what do you now understand? Why is this period that long? What was it about the, the adults who knew your mother, maybe her job, etc., that this 18 days, you know, it could go that long? What do you understand about that now? Uh, well, it's, it's confusing, but yes. So my aunt was a lost, you know, person to communicate. I believe my grandmother had been many phone calls and no messages, no one's answering the phone. And my grandparents lived about a half hour away. I believe Mm -hmm. if they were closer, they probably would have just drove over. So maybe they just thought she's working a lot or they're busy, but, uh, Mm -hmm. there was a phone call where, my grandma finally got a hold of Ian and he said uh, that she was gone and, you know, they had an argument. She packed up and took off and my grandma said, well, what the hell are you talking about? And then she said, did you call the police? He says, no. She says, well, you call the police or I'm calling right now. That's mm-hmm. how the police were notified. That's what, that was like, I guess we might call the final straw. That was the final straw. Uh, that it- the camel's back. But really, it took almost three weeks from that last conversation that your mother had until that point for this to happen. Correct. Now, the weird part is, before that, there was no communication with my grandma and Ian. All of a sudden, the police are notified. There are daily Mm. phone calls from Mm -hmm. Ian to my grandma or vice versa. And Mm -hmm. the only question... He's not sad. He's not upset. What are the mm. police saying? What did the police mm. say? So there was mm-hmm. a light bulb moment down the road where my grandma says, oh, my God. Okay. I think that he you okay. know, is involved. Okay. Um, do you need to ask some questions? She did have this job. Uh, have you ever been able to find out? Of course, she didn't show up for work at some point. Did they try calling? Did they, of course, this is 1985. There's no cell phones. There's no email. Did they call and did he ever offer up? Did he give them the same explanation? I believe when I'm reading the notes that we, that I, some of what I sent you today, that Mm -hmm. she may have been fired in April from the job. I'm, trying to understand huh. some of the handwriting so it sounds like at some point she lost the job but i think that that time was near where everything happened okay so. any ideas why she was let go from this job you just said fired but that sounds that doesn't sound good well, any, I don't, any ideas? i don't know if she wasn't showing up i don't mm. know if she got sick i don't really understand because the notes he's kind of all over the place mm. he's saying one thing then he's saying something else and it, it's just trying to tie it all together all right when you say so. he well, who do you mean uh, Ian, this is sort of his sort of alibi leading up to what happened, um, but he's sort of all over the place in the notes that I was reading. So Okay, so 
when you say that you believe she got fired, is that Ian talking? That's not the That's business Ian talking. talking. All right, so, so we I don't, don't know. know that for sure. Okay. And we know that he was a liar, so uh, I don't know. Okay, so this is just uh, what I'm reading from mm-hmm. what he's told the detectives. All right, so but directly with her employer, you there are no notes that you've ever seen in the last 36 years no, no. That, that say I've yes, she got even, fired. Yes, she this right. happened. Okay, so this is I've just never Ian talking. Into that, so, yeah. Okay, that might be interesting. I don't know if that those records will even still exist, but right. it would be interesting to know. You know, being that your grandmother was trying to call, no answer, no, no answer, no answer, okay. you know, for job, if she really did still work there, what kind of response were they getting? Just something that comes right. to my mind as yeah, we're talking. Yeah, that, that is exactly. Okay. That's a good point. All right. So we have this last conversation uh, with the great aunt, and then there's this almost three weeks, 18 days approximately, uh, the best right. that anybody can tell, where there's no contact with her, your grandmother's trying to reach her, and then finally... Ian, I don't know, picks up the phone or whatever and, and you know, gives this story and, and immediately your grandmother's like, well, that, you know, that doesn't sound good. And that's how all of this stuff got started. But maybe you just need to tell uh, the listeners again what that first time that your grandmother did speak to Ian, what did he say? He said they had a heated argument about her drinking and that he basically, you know, told her to pack up and leave. Um, that's what I've always been told. Mm-hmm. But what it says in the case file is different than that, what I was messaging you earlier. Yes. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. And we'll get into that. So, but on that yeah. day, that's what he told your grandmother. That's what he told my grandma. Yes. All right. That's... That they yeah, had a bad argument, um, got really heated. That mm-hmm. he, um, yeah, he told her to pack up and leave. And then he left, came back, she was gone. That's his version Mm -hmm. of what he claims happened. Okay. Have you, um, during these 18 days, um, been able to find out his whereabouts? Is there any records that he missed work? Any records that he might have taken, you know, some days off for work for like a personal vacation? Uh, any records, any, uh, it, you know, of him going to work and saying, yeah, my wife took off? Any, do, I realize it's been 36 years, but any right. information that in that, any, any of these files that you have, anything like that I at all? I don't see, I didn't see anything about that. That's a really good question. Okay. Um, he did. Uh, I mean, I found notes about him getting rid of the car, trading the Subaru in um, Mm -hmm. about a week after the disappearance. Uh, There was also, um, trying to think, that he went out of town, that I was told he he went out of town during this time period. So just some of the behavior, not that my wife's gone, where is she? I'm so upset. None of Mm -hmm. that, just him just kind of taking off and... Mm-hmm. Um, as the police said, not cooperating with them. Okay, and we'll t- we'll talk about the the police interaction with Ian. Uh, to your knowledge, uh, any of his friends? Of course, we talked about David, but any other people? Have you ever been able to uh, determine? Did he tell any of his friends, coworkers, about his wife leaving? Ever? No. Okay. Not that I'm not that I'm aware of. Okay. So I think the only time it ever came up is if the police questioned someone. That's okay. the only way that 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, has he in any of these stories ever given the date that this happened? Of course, there's a there's a date out there. It could be June first. It might be other some other date. And we're gonna of course talk about this other significant d- date, June fourteenth, nineteen eighty five, here in a bit. But has he ever given a specific date on which this happened? Well, I've always been told June first, but I question whether it possibly happened in May because. Uh, there's a picture of the divorce. It has to be a year after the missing person. And the date for the divorce was at the end of May of 86, which just made me, you know, mm-hmm. who knows the actual date, but it just made me question if June 1st is when it actually happened. All right. All we know is, once again, though, to your knowledge, he never say yes. On May 29th, 1985, we got in a fight. And she took off. He never came up with a specific date. Um, the only date that I know of is June 1st. Uh, so June I 1st. don't know what his, okay. yeah. Okay. So. That's totally fine. And if we could just go back to this uh, this conversation that your mother had with your great aunt, uh, do we have an exact date for that? I believe that was the last week of May. Was Okay. I don't, yeah, I don't have it in front of me. But. All right, so uh, 30 days has September, April, June, and November, so we go to May 31st, so it could have been anywhere between May 24th and May 31st. Yeah, I believe she she thought it was about a week before the date mm-hmm. that he gave police, mm-hmm. so which would lead me to believe the last week of May, somewhere in that time period. Okay, very good. All right. Um... And we have to remember that it wasn't until your grandmother reached him, once again, 18 days later. So let's just say that your aunt talked to him on the 25th. And so we're now going uh, seven days later would be like June 2nd. So there's one week, June 9th, two weeks. And we got these 18 days. And uh, so let's just say around June 11th, maybe, is when your grandmother finally spoke to him. Is that is that a good guess? Um, maybe. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, he... I think it's right around the time of the purse thing. Okay. But All right. That would be close. Be... That would be close. Okay. June eleventh, June twelfth, June thirteenth, June fourteenth. Yeah, 14th. yeah. So it would yeah, be close. I'm not, I'm not absolutely definite on that, but. <laughs> okay, I'm just yeah. uh, trying to put this all in a timeline for the listeners so they can kind of visualize right. this. So, yes. the aunt last, the, the the person that we you would believe the most, your great aunt. Maybe your maybe your mother did speak to other people after that, but if it's somebody, then it's somebody maybe from a business or something. But as far as people who you know that you trust, it's this great aunt yeah. who spoke to your mother last. Let's just say around May 25th. And then it's not until approximately June 11th, June 12th, that your grandmother speaks to Ian. And, of course, we've already spoken about the story uh, that he gave. So let's move on to this. So then right after, seemingly, uh, the best you can tell, right after this happens, and this is where we're going to move into the kind of what we would call the rest of the case, you just mentioned it, and I think probably of people who know about your mother's disappearance, this is probably one of the, the, the probably the, the biggest points that people know about it, is that her purse, out of nowhere, it seems, um, was found, although it's technically it wasn't 
we'll get into that. But yeah. her purse is found by someone in a hotel in Reno. Now, how far is uh, Reno from Bellevue? It's quite a ways. Very far. Very yes. far. Okay. And explain how that all uh, occurred, that you and your family discovered that her, her purse was found there. Let's talk about that. Right. The purse was found in that lobby. So I'm not sure if... Uh... Because what we know is that the purse was mailed back from the 26th floor of the MGM in a hotel lobby is where the purse was found. And we know that it was mailed back to the ID address in her purse. Very strange. Okay, so what you're saying is somebody, uh, do you happen to know if it was a hotel employee or was it just yeah, somebody staying? I believe it was the hotel employee or someone in the hotel found, yes. Okay, found so... And once again, what hotel is this? Uh, the MGM Grand in Reno. Okay. And I don't know if it's still the MGM Grand anymore. That was 30. Yeah. These things change right. quite often. And my mom, my mom did not gamble. This okay. We'll, we're, very, yeah. we'll, we'll get into that. All right. Okay. So, so somehow her purse is there. This is just a few days after Ian and your grandmother talk. And somebody finds the purse, I guess goes through it finds her ID and thinks, oh, well, won't, I'll just ship this back to Bellevue, Washington, or wherever she was living at the time. What, right. what did your grandparents think when, of course, they're already thinking that your, your mother is missing, then all of a sudden her purse shows up, I guess, in a box on their front door. How did your grandparents react to that? I know that you were living with them. How did they react? They just thought it was very strange, very out of character, not somewhere they thought that she would just go. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it just didn't add up. Mm -hmm. Now you said it was in the lobby, but you did you also say the 26th floor? I mean, what, The 26th what? floor. All right, so yeah. was it the lobby or was it the 26th floor? That doesn't... Uh, that's, well, I was told the 26th floor lobby, so I don't know if there was a couch or an area they found <clears throat> That's just what I was told. Okay. All right. I guess uh, because when, I think when people think lobbies, they think of like where you enter a hotel, you know, down, down like at the desk. So I, I believe the 26th floor, yes. All right. So it was on the 26th floor, but what you're saying, it wasn't found in a room. It might have been, there might have been a table there or something right That's outside the elevator. I, that was my understanding, yeah. Okay. That make, all right. That makes a lot of sense. So a hallway on the 26th yeah. floor, somebody found it, cleaning person, uh, guest and they bring it down maybe to the, the management, and they do one of the nicest things I've ever heard of in any disappearance. They just mm -hmm. um, shipped it back to your mother, but uh, there's right. no proof that your mother was ever in that hotel, correct? No, nothing. Uh, I had an off-record meeting with the detectives, and nothing mm -hmm. ever checked out. Okay. He, yeah, he... Uh, believed that it was possible it was planted okay uh any records that anybody julian knew ever stayed at that uh hotel ian or anybody else david anybody ever was at that hotel around that time no and my mom even had a friend that i contacted who lived not too far from there and she said she had not heard from my mom and you know, I have no reason to believe, you know, mm -hmm. I believe that we had an honest conversation and she said, I would have told you if I saw her or heard mm -hmm. from her. So, 
Okay. So once again, to put this in the timeline, right around June 10th, June 11th, your grandparents or your grandmother speaks to Ian. He gives this story about how your mother took off, whatever his story is. And then just strangely days later, on June 14th is when the purse is uh, found. And then it was, of course, got back to your grandparents sometime after that. Right. Okay. Let's talk about the contents of the purse. You uh, just told me today in a text that there were seven items in the purse. Do you know what those seven items were? Um, what uh, can you What can you say about the purse and its contents? Um, so it says that her it had her ID card, a pair of underwear, a shirt, glasses, and some makeup. Okay. So that's. Okay. Uh, in your opinion, would you say in seeing those items, uh, anything that is your mother usually carried that is missing? Or would you say that, that those are the items she usually had in her purse? Once again, your understanding is an 11-year-old. Um, yeah, nothing in the purse seemed out of character, except the underwear was a little strange. Uh, mm-hmm. So, that right. seems out of character for my mother. Okay, and we, and, and the interesting thing about this is that, you know, 1985, a little before DNA became a thing, but those, uh, that underwear was finally tested in the 1990s? Yes, correct. All right, and was there DNA on it to verify that they were your mother's? Yes, just her DNA. Okay. All right, so we have these items, nothing uh, unusual there. Um, maybe there was cash or something in there, but it, maybe somebody took it. We don't know, but right. as far as the actual yeah. contents, uh, things of a non-monetary uh, uh, value or you know, nature, monetary nature, people mm -hmm. that... Women usually carry in their purse. That's what was in there. Right. Okay. Uh, so we have this purse. Uh, was that immediately turned over to the police, I'm guessing? Uh, yes, that's in their possession. Okay. Still in their possession 36 years later? It sure is, yes. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, so so let's move on to this. I, I even though we do not do theorizing as far as um, what could have happened to a person, I know that the listeners uh, you know can read between the lines, especially in a disappearance like this one. We do cover a lot of disappearances on the program where I think there are a lot of different possibilities, but I think with Julianne's, I, I think that the concentration is going to be on Ian. So uh, knowing that, and but we can't get into th any theories here, uh, was their house uh, eventually searched? Uh, what What is the address of this house? What do you know about any of that? Um, it was searched many years later um, by one detective that was like uh, ex-FBI. And um, yeah, it... I believe that they did have two uh, dogs and that they did check the crawl space and mm -hmm. that um, backyard and property. Okay. Uh, why did it take, you said years later, why did it take that long? Why, do you have any idea why there wasn't something done at that time in I 1985? I have a lot of questions about that. I, I feel that there could have been more done mm -hmm. at the beginning of the investigation. Okay. So. Okay. Um, what is the, if you have it there, what is the address of where Ian and your mother were living at the time? So that was in Lake Hills, Washington, or sorry, Lake Hills, Bellevue, Washington. Lake Hills, Bellevue, Washington. Okay. 
So in this information that you just recently sent me about uh, the house being searched, but unfortunately it wasn't until years later, which you and I both agree is uh, a little unusual, but you had sent me two specific uh, points that came out of these searches later. Number one were, were two mounds, M-O-U-N-Ds, two piles of dirt, I guess you put it that way, in a crawl space. And then the other point was that there was a ring found. So why don't, we, why don't you discuss both of those? Um, I believe the police uh, discussed with my grandma, you know, did she recognize this ring? Um, it, it just so happened to be an Avon ring, which was a type of jewelry that my grandma would buy for my mother. My grandma did not recognize the ring, so I, I'm not sure about the ring. Um, I do see the pictures and uh, that the dogs alerted um, to the backyard and the crawl space, the mounds of dirt referred to, um, uh, appeared to have existed at the time the house was built. Oh. Uh, so, uh, yeah, um, but they booked the ring into the evidence room, and then they had an interview with my grandmother back okay. in 2004. Could, could your grandmother ever verify uh, that that might have been a ring uh, that your mother wore? I guess what we're saying here is this ring was found in oh. a... I oh, wait, yes, it says Robert said she purchased ring. Well, she said she purchased rings from Avon, so... It's still not totally confirming whether they were hers or not. Okay. You've seen a picture of that ring. Do you ever remember your mother wearing a ring I, like that? I don't. And I I wish I could remember better. I wish I wasn't so young. Mm -hmm. I guess what so. we're saying is this ring was found in an area where you, you normally wouldn't find a ring. Correct, which which really makes me question, and I, I wasn't aware of this before. I remember other jewelry and other meetings, but this mm -hmm. um, is very interesting to me. Okay, and, and specifically, where was this ring found? Uh, well, it says the dogs alerted to the backyard and the crawl space. It says adjacent to the chimney, so it sounds like it was... Um, Okay. Oh, the cadaver dog searched the property and crawl space. Um, they took photos of the backyard, followed by photos of the crawl space. They discovered a silver-colored ring with thir three turquoise stones on mm. top of each clear plastic. And that sounds like something that she would like. She liked that type of. She liked turquoise, and so it's okay. interesting. All right, um, so about fifty feet from the crawl space hatch near the center portion of the house. Okay, so this is sounding to me like something that was found under the foundation of the house, like under the yeah, it's floor near or the chimney. Yeah. Okay, so maybe, uh, maybe it's not even her ring. Maybe it was uh, from maybe a woman. Yeah. It could be a woman that lived there before her. Uh, maybe it could have been left there. Maybe the the people who originally built the house. And, you know, right. and, you know, and they just got lost and they weren't able to find it. We just don't know. Unfortunately, it's never I been verified. I don't know either. And grandma, I feel mm. like part of me thinks my grandma would have recognized it because the timing mm -hmm. would have been around a time where she saw my mom a lot and she bought her the Avon stuff. So not quite too sure about all that. Okay. But. 
All right, so we, this house was searched, but not until uh, many years later, and it just seems that those were the only items that really popped up. The issue, of course, we have is that, um, you know, I, I'm guessing that Ian wasn't living in that house by the time the search was done. Uh, it said that he was moving out in his notes that he would be moving out of the house. So I believe, okay. I don't think he went back to the home after that. Okay. my understanding. So if something happened in the house, then it would have had plenty of time to be cleaned up and everything else. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's move on to this. Uh, you've already stated that it's hard for you to understand um, why the police didn't do a search back in 1985 instead of them waiting till many years later. We've already talked about the ring being found, etc. In general, being the obviously, I, th I think the police or the uh, listeners are getting the idea that you do have extensive notes. You have a lot of uh, paperwork regarding yeah. your mother's disappearance, which I will tell you, Tamara, is very rare. So you're very fortunate to have all of that. A lot of my uh, and guests they explained you know, to me some of what was released mm -hmm. to me is not normally what mm -hmm. they, but they knew that I was very determined to try to solve her nice case or get closure. Well, that was nice of them. I, I, I commend them for that. Uh, that is very rare. Uh, what would you say their attitude was at the time? The, once again, not your attitude, but the police attitude toward your mother's disappearance and Ian. Uh, in fact, they did say something about Ian at some time uh, regarding him. Right. They just... Uh... Well, in the later years, it was they didn't have the evidence. Um, I did meet with a couple different prosecutors. I asked, could we go to trial without a body? And they explained it's very difficult. You have to prove up until the minute that she passed what was happening, mm -hmm. uh, which would be extremely difficult from 1985. I guess so, what I'm asking you is uh, the feeling that you get from the police is that back oh, in 1985... Yeah. So yeah, the original detective met with me off the record and said he he was very controlling. He was a drug user. He a man fitting his description would not have taken her body far, and that he always strongly felt he was involved in her. All right, so death. this is once again we're not theorizing here. This is just what the main investigators are saying. No, yeah. This okay, was an this off is what the record meeting okay. uh, with the retired detective who nicely met me and my old boss was an attorney so he was willing to have a meeting with us that she okay. set up all right so all right so it seems back in 1985 that it doesn't seem that uh, the police were uh, buying Ian's story no okay he just wasn't cooperating and that ties into the polygraph and all of that all right well funny you should bring that up because we're going to talk about that right now um right. At least in a moment. Uh, just uh, yes or no question. Any proof that Ian was ever in Reno around that time that he would have been able to bring her purse down there? Any proof of that? No. Okay. To your knowledge, did he have any connections to Reno for work or anything else? Not that I know of. Okay. How about, and I've asked you this before and we don't have to get deep into this at all, but um, how about any of his ex-wives, to your knowledge, I know you've spoken to any of them, any of them have any connections to Reno or have they ever stated, yes, uh, Ian and I, when we were married, we used to go to Reno for a few days. Any conversations like that ever come up? No, just uh, a comment from an ex-wife uh, who thought that that's where his daughter and the mother may have lived at one time. And, mm -hmm. you know, 
that could have been years ago. So that's the only thing that ever came up. Okay. Uh, any proof that, um, and once again, we cannot deny this, um, I don't know if we want to call it a coincidence, your grandmother finally reaches Ian, and then a few days later, the purse is found in Reno. Any proof that Ian was out of touch with people for 24 hours around the time that the purse was found? Uh, that's very, very possible. Or any proof of that? I don't know. Yeah, All right, I, I okay. don't know. All right, because we have to remember, you know, the thing about, you know, back here we, we cover a lot of old disappearances on Unfound. Uh, you know, we've covered several from the 1980s. Uh-huh. But of course, there's no cell phone, no social media, right. anything like Things that. Were, so when people would... were so different back then. Yes. I know. I was uh, 15 uh, when this happened. And, um, well, about to turn 15. And, but the thing is, when people would go in a car, they would be out of touch. These days, you know, we talk everywhere. You know, we're on social media. In fact, people texting and driving, causing crashes. But back in 1985, if you would go in a car and drive from Bellevue to Reno, there would be a period of time where you wouldn't be able to be in contact with anybody. So I'm asking you, in those days, like around June 14th, is there any proof that Ian was out of touch with people for like those hours that it would have taken to go from Washington to Nevada and back? Yeah, I I don't know. Um, The only thing that I know is that the communication only started after Mm. the police were notified. So... I don't. All right. I don't know. So just, uh, I guess what we're saying is no, uh, really good, no really good connections between uh, Ian and Reno. No, No, nothing solid. No. Okay. You mentioned the polygraphs. Let's talk about them now. You actually gave me the dates uh, that they were given. Uh, Why don't you just tell the listeners what you know about these polygraph tests that Ian uh, took? Well, the first time they asked him, you know, was he willing to take the polygraph? Um, You have the notes, but I believe it was he wasn't ready to take it. Mm -hmm. Then they asked him a second time, which I can't remember how... Uh, how many months or yeah I'll, uh, I'll help you along here uh because i do okay. I, I, I once you gave them to me i put them into the outline uh you said february okay. 20th 1986 Correct. so now yep. we're talking eight months after your mother went missing uh and then there's a date of march 7th 1986 and then another date of april 2nd so we're getting close to the right. you know a so, year uh dates yeah, of these so three the dates third time was he did yeah he agreed to take the polygraph mm-hmm. yeah and what and, happened and it became you know came back inclusive so on the three questions and i'm not surprised you know one bit all right you have do you have documentation for this or were you told this oh i do yes yes I you, do. Have, you have documentation for this uh-huh. All right. And so his uh, the results were inconclusive. You say these questions. What are those questions? So, yeah, it came back inclusive. You know, did you kill your wife? Were you involved in her disappearance? And do you know what happened to Julianne? All right. So inconclusive. 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 Couldn't necessarily tell he was telling the truth. Couldn't necessarily tell that he was lying. All right. And mm-hmm. all right. And um uh, of course, polygraph tests. Everybody know that they are just a tool. Uh, they can be they can be cheated. They can, you know. In fact, innocent people can be found to be lying. 
Uh, people who are guilty can be determined to, to be telling the truth, uh, and we have to remember that. So uh, it's just a tool like anything else. It's not DNA. Okay, but he did uh, eventually agree to do this, but we have to remember many, many months after your mother went missing, which I certainly believe affects uh, polygraph results. Let's move on to this. Now, what has come up um, at least a few times in this interview so far, and we even talked about this when your mother and Ian got married, is that he had been married many times before. You've been able to speak to some of these exes. I mean, how were you able to track them down? And maybe I should ask you this. When you told them that your mother was missing while being married to Ian, what was their reaction? Um, I don't think that they were surprised. Um, both of them, you know, obviously the marriages didn't last. Uh, one had, there was an incident where he was physical with one and she told him if he did that again, she'd break his legs. Mm -hmm. And there was another ex-wife. So there was a lot of behaviors that added up to you know, mm -hmm. his demeanor and he's controlling and he can be physical. Doesn't mm -hmm. mean he was with every wife. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, how did you even track any of these women down? Uh, well, when I was working for my old boss, she had kind of done like a people search and tried to find the one uh, who was the second wife and she's the one that had a lot of information it just so happens the police had never investigated her years years ago mm -hmm. just they did the other ex-wife was the wife after my mom she mm -hmm. spoke with me too and confirmed some other things that happened during her marriage with him. Okay. So. Most importantly, um, this woman who married Ian right after your mother. Yes. And maybe we should talk about this. How You already stated that he filed for divorce like a year later, correct? We've already talked about that. Right. Right. Um, was she aware that his prior wife, your mother, Julianne, had disappeared. Was this was he open about that? Did he tell her about that? Or is that something she found out years later? So I don't know, but it's in the police file. And uh, the police did contact her. So she was aware that my mom had gone missing, that there was a case. And mm -hmm. so I don't know what Ian told her. I'm um, not sure about, you know, what... Whether she found out from the police or whether Ian told her, that I don't know. Okay. All right. And he, you, like you said, you uh, your best guess is that he's been married six times, including yes. your mother's. And it, okay. Yes. And in yeah. fact, I've been able to go on newspapers.com and find two marriage announcements, one from 1965, one from 1972 of him marrying different women. Of course, he didn't marry your mother at 1985, so it all almost could be there's another woman in there somewhere, maybe. You know, she, your mother mother might have been number four. Uh, you know, a guy likes to get married, I guess, just like Elizabeth Taylor liked to. Um, but you've had a chance to talk to some of them, and would you say that these women have been supportive supportive of what you've, uh, you're doing here? Have they been helpful? Yeah. Uh, one just said, you know, that he, he was a liar and, um, excuse me, my voice, um, allergies. And she, uh, said that he was a good liar 
and that if anybody was going to get away with it, he would. All right, that's somebody else talking. That's one of his ex-wives talking. Correct, yeah. Uh, okay. And uh, that one said that he liked, he his words, he liked to be married, just not to the same woman. Okay. What has uh, Ian uh, done with his life? You've, of course, he's gotten married a few times uh, since then. What has he done with his life since 1985? Does he still continue well, to he's, work? Is he's it... moved around about mm-hmm. 15, I don't know how many times, a lot. He's moved mm-hmm. a lot. And I believe that he became like an IT, like computer, uh, had some kind of computer business of his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's about all I know. Okay. And I've tried to look up his criminal record and it does not seem like he has uh, much of one. So, um, there's that. Okay. Uh, so what did you do after all of this? Your mom goes missing. A mother goes missing. Of course, it seems the plan was that you were going to move in with them maybe that summer. I'm not saying you were thrilled by that, but it seems like your mother wanted you to do that. So after, um, she goes missing. Uh, how did the, the your your the rest of your teenage years go? What what did you do? Uh, who did you li- live with? Uh, you know what was that all like, Tamara? Right. So my grandparents, you know, sat me down and told me my mom was missing that um, June, and then I was sent to my um, aunt and uncles in Minnesota, St. Paul. And so spent the summer there with my aunt and uncle at their house. And then they had a second place, a lake house. So, you know, had a lot of fun, was with my family, kind of uh, distracted from back home, what was going on. Mm -hmm. And went back in the end of August, I believe, you know, stayed at my same school. um, Mm -hmm. You know, stayed with my grandparents, uh, the stability, played sports, um... I just kind of wanted to be a kid. I knew this had happened. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. Back in the 80s, you didn't really hear about this type of stuff. Um, So it was a little confusing, I think, when I was younger. So. Okay. And so you ended up graduating from that uh, same school? Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I um, went to the same elementary, middle school, high school, graduated high school, went on to college, mm-hmm. um, still playing basketball, still, um, you know, mm-hmm. hanging out with my friends and, um, mm-hmm. yeah. And Would you say that, uh, the disappearance of your mother came up very often in conversations that you would have with people that you met? Would, would they, you know, did they even know, or would you have to bring it up? Or was that something that was like a, a topic you didn't talk about? How did you handle it? Uh, so... I would say, like, my closest friends that knew me from, like, elementary. So there's a group of us that all went to school for 12 years together. So they're aware and they've known. Um, Some people close to me are aware. Um, Now it seems a little more accepted. Back then, you just didn't, there wasn't social media. You didn't hear about all of this all the time. Um, I did ask my grandparents why they didn't go to, like, the news station. Yeah. and they just said they wanted to protect me. So with my family, I think there was always this, we want to protect Tammy. We don't want something to happen to her as well. And um, and I was young. And so, you know, I wish they had maybe pursued some of that a little more. But, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't. Okay. 
Um, when you finally decided, you said you're 19 years old, um, uh-huh. and you started looking into this, and it, and it seems to me up until this day, 2021, you know, you're still gathering information. I think it's great that uh, you have as much information as you do. I've already stated that a lot of my guests don't have even one quarter of what you have. Um, what kind of response did you get from your family when you said you were you know, going to start doing this? Because uh, you, maybe you don't know this, but I can tell you a lot of the guests who are on Unfound, although we don't talk about it, they're the only one in the family that's working on this and they get no support. A lot of family right. members just want to make it to all go away for whatever reason. Yes. But for you, yeah. uh, how, what's it been like for you? And of course, maybe your grandparents are deceased now, but how did they feel about it at the time? And maybe extended family, how do they feel about what you've been doing? Um, so I feel that um, my family has been supportive. Me and my dad talk about it quite a bit. I always feel like I can call my dad and he's like, oh, I remember this. Or, or sometimes he'll tell me a memory about my mom that makes me feel good because, you know, I, I feel mm-hmm. robbed of, you know, all yeah. these years. Sure. So my dad, um, my grandpa's daughter, um, she had just sent me a message. I think I shared with you mm-hmm. a little bit about my mom. She was a good mom. She, you know, yeah. um, smiling and happy and um, easygoing. And and so I feel like my family's been supportive. My grandma struggled with this, I would say. And one of the last conversations before she passed was, do you miss my mom? And she said, of course I do. It's just hard to talk about. And, you know, she was 92. My grandma passed last year. So my mission mm-hmm. was to get justice and closure before my grandma passed yeah, away. Yeah, but it didn't happen that way. Uh, yeah. Um We've had to deal with that on Unfound as well. Uh, unfortunately, some of the guests that have been on the program passed. Uh, you know, from the early years of the program, they've passed since then. You know, and I feel bad every time. I think we have yeah. four guests now who have passed away. I think four who have passed yeah. away since they were on the program, and it, and, and, it, right. and it hurts. It hurts every time, and it, it, it you know but it really does. You know. I will say the ironic part is when everything happened with my grandma last year. You know, during COVID, mm-hmm. uh, everything happened in May. And it was the week of Mother's Day. And I said Mm. to my son, he happened to be home from college because COVID. And uh, I said, she's going to pass on, grandma's going to pass on Mother's Day. And the hospital called about a half hour before Mother's Day. So, you know, 11.30 p.m., they're calling Mm. saying, you know, your grandma's passed. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, yeah, it was Mother's Day. (laughs) So, you know, now they're together. So Okay. When was the last time, have you ever attempted in the last so many years to talk to Ian? Have you uh, spoken to him recently? Do you ever try to contact him? Does he keep tabs on what you're doing, etc.? What can you say about that? Uh, There were some phone calls, me and Ian, and him saying, oh, you can call me anytime, but me, of course, being suspicious. A couple conversations with his wife, um, but I did show up at their home, their previous home in Edmonds, Washington, on Mother's Day. He invited me in, and, you know, I caught him in some lies during the conversation, and toward the end of the conversation, I said, I know you're responsible. I know that Mm. you did this. You're responsible. He didn't say, yes, he was. He agreed with me. 
and uh, you did. Yeah, and that was that was enough. And then I kind of got the goosebumps. I'm like, okay, I need to leave. Okay, but he he did. Uh, and he, he also mentioned the police are watching him. It was supposed to, like, make me feel better. You mm-hmm. know, the police are watching me. And I said, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Can you yeah. give an example uh, of a lie he told while you were talking to him? Uh, he told me to my face that I loved him. And I said, I hated you. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there was one point where the wife got up and left the room, and I thought it was strange. And then she came back, and she said, I'm so sorry. So what are you sorry for? And she said, well, my children, they they hate him. Like, her kids do right? not like Ian. It was just a very strange moment during the, I mean, okay. yeah, it was very strange. Okay. Tamara, do you have a, a website or Facebook page, anything like that, set up for your mother and her disappearance? Uh, I have my own page, uh, Julianne Jolay, 1985, Cold Case. Okay, and that is on Facebook? Yes, correct. All right, and is that, uh, are you the administrator there? Yes. Okay, great. Okay. Uh, any final words before we complete this interview? Tamara? No, I'm just thankful to be able to tell my story and, you know, you never know. There are people alive. So as her daughter, there's always hope that someone, you know, comes forward or gives more information to help us solve her cold case. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I'll be here to help. It sounds like uh, to me, though, uh, Tamara, you've been doing a fantastic job. I I think all this information that you've collected and the way you've been able to keep it organized is exceptional. Uh, you know, and I know a lot about that, having covered over 200 disappearances for the program. Uh, the, the way you've been able to get the information and present it and talk about it, uh, I think bodes uh, good things. You know, um, and getting, continuing to get more information about what might have happened uh, to your mother. And any um, time you need to talk about it... Um, I'm certainly happy to answer any questions, counsel you, you know, opinions, things like that. All right. So uh, I think we're going to be knowing each other, you know, for a while, even after you find your mother, whether she is alive or deceased, you know, so uh, this is just the beginning of us, beginning of us knowing each other. So I just want to make that promise to you. And I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. And that was my June 13th, 2021 interview with Tamara McAdams, daughter of Julianne Jolay. I thank her for joining me and all of you on the program. Although there is no map supplemental for this episode, I did create a map that is now available on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and our website, theunfoundpodcast.com, to show you how far it is from Bellevue, Washington, to Reno, Nevada. Allow me to first get this out of the way. From a pure logic point of view, it makes all the sense in the world that Ian Gillet caused Julianne Gillet's disappearance. Nobody can deny that logic. Well, Ian might deny it, but we can't. Why? not filing a police report, seeming to not care that his wife of five months took off, 
not calling Julianne's parents after a few days to see if she ended up at their house. The polygraph test. And maybe most importantly, the timing of the finding of the purse in that Reno hotel. However, in the disappearances that we've covered, which are kind of like Julianne's, in which the husband is seen as a very good suspect, we have many others where the scenarios are more obvious than what might have happened in Julianne's. Angela Green, Marion Hurley, Rosemary Rapp, Christy Nichols, Danielle Sleeper. To me, their husbands or boyfriends are much better suspects in theirs than Ian is in Julianne's. So then, why do I think that? The main problem is the purse being found in Reno. It makes no sense to me why Ian or anyone else, in an effort to make it look like Julianne was still alive on June 14th, 1985, would drive 12 hours, go up to the 20th-something floor of a hotel, deposit the purse, to then go back downstairs and drive 12 hours the whole way back to Bellevue. Why do all that when depositing the purse at any hotel in Bellevue or any nearby city would serve the same purpose? Moreover, why put the purse anywhere? If the person has killed Julianne, why not just ditch the purse? It's hard to understand. As hard as that is to understand, though, there's something that is even more perplexing. I've stayed in a lot of hotels. I'm sure you have, too. They usually have lost and found boxes or bins or storage areas. Yet, I guess we're to believe this MGM employee declined to put the purse aside in case Julianne came back. Instead, this employee found the address on Julianne's ID, got a box, put the purse in it, taped the box up, wrote the address on it, and probably paid for the shipping out of this employee's own pocket. Doing this all for a woman whose name was surely not on any record as having ever stayed at the MGM Grand Hotel. Gotta tell you, that's miles away from my experience regarding how hotels treat such situations. I'll leave the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a nice review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.